1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What is up, everybody? I am on leg four of the Grand Slam, the Monday podcast batch recording, and I have been... Solo all day again, man, that sickly co-host of mine really needs to get some emergency and possibly some airborne, whatever. I feel like I don't even know the guy anymore at this point. It's been so long since he's been on here. But anyhow, I've got a great guest, one of my favorite people in the insurance industry, Mr. Patrick McBride from the Arctic tundra of Illinois, for those of us who live in Tampa. What's up, Patrick? Man, I'm sitting here thinking
2: that my life could only be better if I wasn't in the Arctic tundra. And you remind everyone that I'm here. It snowed out over the weekend.
0: It's bitter. Oof.
2: I'm cold. Uh, I'm angry about it. And I won't be happy until the sun peeks back out in uh,
1: May or June next year. Man, I it telling me that it snowed, I'm like, wow, really? But then I look, it's almost December, man. So it is that time of year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm old enough.
2: I've seen enough snow in my life. We can retire somewhere, somewhere warm and I'll be happy.
1: Got a few suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some point there's going to be a massive agency of ex-agency owners down here that we form as like a conglomerate somehow and then perpetuate it for years to come. Cause everybody wants to come south and it only makes sense, man. Yeah. I'm in. So, talk a little bit about your background before we get too ramped up. I mean, you're you're not I would not say at least what I know of your background from an insurance aspect is not overly unique. You came from a from a captive arrangement into independent and you know, saw the light and realized there was better opportunity out there. But sort of give everybody your backstory and where you came from.
2: you know, it's a simple story. Um, I think I'm the one guy in the insurance industry that chose this realm, though <laughs> So I worked uh, post-military, I worked in the bicycle industry. All I wanted to do was ride bikes, race bikes, work on bikes, sell bikes, that's all I wanted to do. And we, uh, I was a general manager of a really successful locally owned bicycle store in North Texas for years. And I loved it. There was nothing better about my life than showing up at work, smelling the tires, hanging on the walls, wrenching on high-end stuff, racing on the weekends, and spending every dollar I could afford on parts. I shouldn't have afforded
1: and life is good by the way everybody listening to this podcast just smelled the inside of a bicycle store based off of that description like literally i'm like i can i can smell the rubber right now this guy's dead on the money it it has such a unique fragrance
2: and then you you mix in the carbon and the grease uh it it uh it's unique i mean it's it's absolutely it's special i mean i'll walk in a store and Maybe be taken back 15, 20 years, uh, back to when I first started in the industry. And uh, immediately I'll smile. It's, uh, it's, it's nostalgic for sure. So I, I did that forever. I, I wanted to be in the bicycle world. I raced a lot, uh, I rode a lot of bikes, and I just wanted to be around something that invoked so much passion from people. So I sold a lot of bicycles. I, I took our revenues, I kind of doubled them over the first couple of years inside the store, got moved up into management, uh, was racing, got got picked up on some sponsorships and and just kept going. I just had a fantastic time. Uh, ended up moving into some inside sales roles, helped launch a brand here in the U.S. that was based out of Australia. And um, really, I mean, really had a great time kind of helping connect local bike stores to the corporations and supply chain management and and learning how to monetize the online presence of a review website inside a inside an industry that was still so driven by the local bike store in that relationship. So that was kind of the background. I mean, I spent most of my career there from the military up to insurance. That's, that's almost everything I did. I I did a lot of other, other pieces in the middle there, but that encompasses the big picture, man.
1: You know, not that we need to get off the rails here, but the bike industry's changed dramatically since I was a kid, man. You know what I mean? It used to be like, Huffy and um, mongoose, like mongoose, Diamondback, all of those BMX bikes and stuff. You had to go to specialty shops to get them. Now you can buy that stuff in Target. I mean, when I was a kid, like the gold standard for for a, a ten speed was Schwinn. You go yeah. to Schwinn, and they had their own standalone stores. You can get that stuff in Target now with no problem. You know, it the whole industry kind of took a,
2: a you look at the whole industry from the bicycle world and I, I actually equate this to insurance a lot um back in the 1980s 1970s there were something like seven or eight thousand bicycle stores across the us what you call an, an ibd or independent bicycle dealer so eight thousand bicycle stores across 50 states all the major metro areas you, you name it you have it we all know the shop we went into as kids Now there's just at, or just under 4,000 stores. So we cut that number in half over the last 30, 40 years. The thing that is the interesting piece is we're still selling the same number of bikes per capita across the entire country. So including, and that's including all the big box stores, all the chain stores, Walmarts, Dick's, you know, the big corporate owned stores. What you saw was this, this great consolidation where the shops who are doing it right and the shops that embrace the technology and the shops that embrace that omni-channel approach with digital and in store, they're able to create this nice hybrid. But what you saw was these big, big brands sold and they sold out to the corporations, right? So Huffies are, you know, uh, I think when I was racing, I had a sticker on my race bike that said, if Huffy made a bicycle or Huffy made an airplane, would you fly in it? And the answer is a resounding no, none of us would. Uh, But the quality went down, right? They basically just took the same manufacturers overseas and they just popped a different name on them instead of saying, you know, Murray. Now it says Schwinn, where
1: Schwinn was the big with the big brand
2: back in the day. Now Trek and Specialist kind of dominate that marketplace.
1: You know, and I think it's interesting, too, because I am not by any stretch like a bike aficionado, but I can I can see certain things. Right. And I think one of the things that really blew my mind is when I started seeing companies use plastic in like the derailleurs and stuff, man, it's absolutely insane to think that something that's mission critical is now being forged from a, a plastic part. And I'm one of these people like, if I am on a bike, I'm a big boy, man. I got a pedal to get even make the thing move a little bit, let alone get after it. And, you know, I started, I started getting to the point where I jump on the bike. I'd go to, to stand up and, and, and pedal down to get off. Next thing, you know, the chain's slipping and I'm flying over the handlebars on it. Yeah. So you know, cutting costs on bikes is not probably the best move, but neither's cutting costs on the agents you deal with. And literally, as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking, this is such a parallel to what we do every single day. It's crazy because there is some level of consolidation. But if you think about it, you've got those natural national brands that are mass produced in bulk, basically just slap a different sticker on it. It could be one of six different bikes, you don't know other yep. than what the sticker says that's kind of the same as buying insurance online, in my opinion. I don't disagree. I think
2: you've got that big box experience. If you know what you're looking for, the vast majority of the marketplace can walk into a Dick's boarding goods, pick a bike off the shelf and go home. We're talking 60, 70%, if not more of bicycle consumers will do that, right? All of our kids, Um, our our younger brothers, our younger sisters, like everybody out there is that's what we're buying. We're not buying the name brand bicycle for our 10 year old. They're gonna outgrow it in a year and a half. So you go through that same process. there's There's a certain level of expectation where you can go to that box store and have that experience. And what the best independent bicycle stores out there, the IBDs out there have done is they've taken that same experience and they've created programs where, you know what, David, I want you to bring your kid in, bring Ethan into the store. We're gonna fit him on a bike. We're going to get him on the right size bike today. And when he outgrows this bike, bring it back to me. Buy the next bike from me. We'll give you half off this purchase back on the new bike. So you're not spending any more than you would have anyways. You're just delaying that purchase. You're you're spending $300 today instead of $125. But now you're getting that extra $125 back on the next purchase. Getting that high quality, getting that customer experience, getting that... the, the jeweler's figured that out
1: yeah the jeweler's figured that out with diamonds how long ago
2: Yeah. Yeah, bring it back every
1: 6 months and have us polish it and we give you a lifetime warranty or it, it we bring it back when you're ready to upgrade to a bigger ring and we'll credit you back what you paid for it. We see yeah. it all the time.
2: Yeah. It's a it's a nice parallel. I mean, I really have enjoyed uh taking our agency into into some of that keeping those same same pieces where there are people who are always going to want to do business with the local guy because you're the local guy. There are people who don't care that you're local. They just want the experience that you offer. And taking those two minds, I can be the right person for both of those consumers every single day. It's just a matter of what we, what we actually present out to the customer. You want to walk in my doors and sit down and have a face-to-face conversation? You 100% can. If you never want to see me in person and you want to jump on a Zoom call or maybe not even that, just email me and you're in some obscure corner of a state that we cover, friggin' let's go.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing, man. You know, the only, I, I agree with you. I will work with the people who don't care where I'm located, but believe in the value. And, and also the people who want to see me and believe in the value who I'm not going to work with is the people who don't care where I'm at and don't care what I, what I offer. Yep. Like go ahead and buy from the internet. If that's the point, you're not looking for a trusted advisor. You're looking for a salesperson.
2: Right. Right. There's, there's your big box consumer. You don't need that guy. There's no, not at all. The reason we still sell the same number of bicycles across all independent bicycle stores, we, <laughs> the reason that the same number of bikes are still sold in those stores back in the 80s as there are today, and there's half the number of stores, is because the stores figured out their value. The ones who didn't got gobbled up or just disappeared altogether. And I think that you know, not to not to be a, an insurance profit, right? I think we're going through that same process now. I think our, our colleagues out there, I think that there are agencies out there that just won't exist in 20 years because they either didn't get the picture or they didn't understand how to present their value. And if they're just the big box store, you're not gonna succeed. You're not gonna exist in 20 years. We don't need the same number, we don't need the number of insurance agencies every day. My office is in a town of 16,000 people. There are 17 agencies in town. You want to tell me that we need an agency for every 900 people? Pardon my French, but shut up! No, you don't. Yeah, no kidding.
1: I mean, not even close. No, that that's that's insane. And what's probably even more amazing is how some of those agencies are still doing things exactly the same way they always have been. You know, I, I've said it before. I used to say it actually when I worked in big box retail, where there isn't as much flexibility, you know, I worked, when I worked with target, we had a common practice for everything, man. It didn't matter what the operation was in the store. I promise you there was a trifold brochure that told you and showed you exactly how to do it. And so as is typically the case, you got all these people out there who think that they know everything, right? They they know a better way. They know a better way than a Fortune 500 company that has spent millions, if not billions of dollars researching the best and most efficient way to do things. And my job at the end was to travel around and fix broken stores. Well, the easy thing for me to do was just find out what departments they weren't following the common practices in get out the trifold brochures educate everybody on them say do this and don't deviate and we're good but I used to tell people you know true everybody says creativity is thinking outside the box that's the easy part I think real creativity is staying inside the confines of the rules you're given and figuring out a new way to do it and that's what you have to do in the insurance industry because we're so heavily regulated in what we do. And I think that's one of the things that you know I respect about you the most is the fact that you can take technology that might be new or even in some cases, maybe it's older and you're finding a new use for it and you're building a tech stack that's going to deliver a client experience unlike all of those other agencies that are in your area. That's real creativity to me. You only have a specified geography if you look at the map relative to the radius of where you're at, even though we know digitally you don't. And then you figured out a way to do things inside the confines of those rules that your competitors just simply aren't. You know, if we look at that, you know, kind
2: of going back to that bicycle industry side of things, there are shops that only want you to walk in the door. And if I'm just the, the agency that only wants you to walk in the door and I'm just going to deal with the, the street traffic or the mini mall traffic, or putting myself in some high traffic location, I'm going to get a good chunk of that market. But that's not the market I want. So how do we define what our market was? How do we define what my market expects? Who's my ideal customer? How do they want to be communicated with? And how do we make sure that we give them as close to an identical experience with our agency? every single time and that's what that technology comes in and and i don't know how many times I, I have said it before but we will use our tech stack to empower the people to be who they already are right we we'll ask a question every interview we do we ask a question and, and essentially there's only two roles in in our office um you either fit inside the sales sales roles or you fit inside the service or, or management roles right the service or account management roles now there's obviously different aspects and different, different deliverables that each, each person can have inside those roles. But the question we ask is, if I gave you $25,000 today, what kind of business would you go and start? And we're asking the question because I wanna hear the motivation of what they would offer. If you're gonna go offer a trinket, if you're gonna go buy tumblers and laser engrave a logo on them and go sell them, I know you're in sales. If you tell me I'm going to go offer some sort of support system or consulting service, you're not in sales anymore. Now you're talking about the needs of the customer. You're trying to meet an innate need in who your consumer is. You're not trying to sell a product. And when you answer that question, you're either going to fit or not fit, depending on the role we're hiring for, we're going to move you to offer you a different role. And we ask that question because we want people to be who people are. If I tried to stick me in our receptionist role, Man, I'd be the greatest receptionist you've ever met. But by God, none of the documentation would be done. I don't dot I's, I don't cross T's, I forget about paperwork. Uh, I know it all exists. And I created a process that allows that to happen seamlessly for me. But man, I'm terrible at asking for, you know, uh, I need you to send me these loss reports. Like I need you to give me X, Y, and Z document. That's what our team is set up for. And the process and the automation is set to supplement my uh, ADHD, you know, hurt, hurt the cat's brain.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's a hard thing to do though. Right. So for me, ADHD obviously rings very, very true, but even when we're looking at traction and putting things in place, looking at processes and procedures, just getting me to sit still long enough to see here are the people Here are the seats. Are the people in the right seats and and go through that whole exercise, even something like the renewal process. One of the things we want to make sure is that we have our entire renewal process in HubSpot, right? It doesn't mean it has to be automated. It needs to be tracked though, right? We need the go get, you know, there's so many things that we can do around that that some of it can be automated. For example, if I've got a client and we're wrapping up our first year of working with them, I know that if I am gonna have to go to market, even though we typically won't in this marketplace, we're shopping way more than we should, I know I need the historic loss runs. So I should be able to set a trigger automatically that 90 days from the renewal date HubSpot automatically sends the email to loss runs pro or to the using loss runs pro to get the loss runs we're going to need to prepare for that. It should set a task to the account manager to make sure we have accurate renewal exposures if they're going to get it or send an email with like the top 10 things we need to know, whatever it is in a fillable form so that that dumps in and then assigns a ticket to the producer that the information's there. There's a million different things that go on in that process, but sometimes sitting down and just intent, I mean, just intentionally thinking through every stage and substage of the processes inside an agency is mind numbing. I just am not mentally capable, man. Like I've got to have people on my team that that's what they like to do to make sure that I stay on task because otherwise I'm playing candy crush on my phone while they're talking in sales meeting or whatever else, because it's just not what I like to do. I'm not interested by it, but it's vitally important to the agency. So you bring up a good point, man. I have the right people around me and the systems around me, not really because of anything other than I'm weak in the areas that I'm sitting here and reinforcing There's a lot of people out there that talk about surround yourself with people who are stronger at things than you are. Very few people are willing to do it. I am not one of those people. If I'm only good at one thing, but my company functions at 10 different things, nine people are going to be experts in those nine other things or some subset thereof. Otherwise, we're going to fail miserably.
2: You know, if if that's the way you want to run it, if you're only good at the one thing, then you only need to sell the one thing and you limit your own capacity, you limit, I wish I remember, the, the there's, there's an analogy I heard out there about a horse and it's a workhorse and I think it's a German workhorse. And one of these horses can pull this extraordinary amount of weight. When you, when you pair two of these horses together, I'm, I'm gonna to use 10,000 pounds as, the, as the, the baseline here. I don't remember what the number was, but you pair one of these horses trained can pull 10,000 pounds and it's enormous. You pair two of these horses together untrained and they can pull something like 16 or 17,000 pounds. It doesn't quite double because they're not trained. They're not working together. There's no system. There's no process. But when you train these two horses together, they can pull something like 35,000 pounds, just the two of them. But when you or I only work inside what we're skilled or we're gifted at, we're not only limiting it ourselves, but we're limiting the other people that should be around us like those partnerships are so pivotal for not just my success, for me to be able to go do what I wanna do, but I'm empowering the people that work in our agency and the people, not just the people that work in our agency, think about our clients, think about our customers, think about having the meeting with that client who didn't know anything about what we do and the value we offer, now gets to go and take so much extra pressure and stress off their own minds because they trust what we're doing and we put different things in place that allow them to operate in so much more freedom that's what we're here for. And that's what that, that partnership and that collaboration mindset is all about. Let me do what I'm good at. Let me hire the people who are great at what they're great at. Let me automate the shit between it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit about that. How did you guys go and figure out what it is you were going to do to start the automation process? How did that? I mean, I think there's a lot of agencies out there right now that struggle with this specifically because of social, right? We're in groups online. Everybody's talking about all of this cool stuff that they have. First off, people, it's bull. Half the time you see people talking about crap online, they're not doing it. They're paying the recurring charge every month, but they're not using the product. It just makes them feel good to say, oh, I have that. Oh, we use that. No, they don't. If they did, they wouldn't be in sharing their secrets with everybody in most cases. But I think there are a lot of people out there who understand the industry's shifting and it's shifting faster than that iceberg in Antarctica that's apparently broken loose now. Um, I don't know if you've seen that on the news or not, but there, there's there's no. an art there's an iceberg that's been anchored like down by Antarctica, and now they've like shown over the last three years it's starting to move and it's picking up speed, I don't even know how you measure that. Whatever. It hasn't moved that much, okay? But look for it online when we're done, because it is kind of fascinating. But you know, they're, they're wanting to start somewhere. They, they're they trying to figure out how do I get caught up? How do I keep up with the Joneses for using, I use a cliche there, but really that's what happens is there's a lot of FOMO, a lot of keeping up with the Joneses and conferences only exacerbate the issue because now you're around a bunch of people who want to sell you the same things that the lady or the man on stage just told you they're using, which, By the way, do we ever even bother to ask qualifying questions of these people making these recommendations? Like, Talk to me about your agency. What's your ideal prospect? Who's your average client? Oh, you're a life-only guy that works out of his kitchen? Why are you talking to me about this, man? You have no qualification whatsoever to advise me on what I'm doing in a middle market PNC agency. But you post the question, everybody wants to answer. So what's some really sound advice for an agency that doesn't have anything in place now that wants to start moving down the automation track?
2: You know, the, the easiest piece of advice I'll ever give anybody is start small, right? You got to start on page one. You can't jump into chapter two or chapter 10 and expect that you understand what's going on. Start with the smallest thing possible. Whatever that is, if it's a new lead automation or if it's your onboarding automation, figure out the one thing that can happen. It doesn't have to be perfect to start with. Find the things that need to happen every single time. When you look back at your process with that new lead automation, if the way a new lead comes into your system is the same every time and you're gonna communicate the same process every time, start building that out one step at a time. I think you know even to, to kind of go back We have, we have that FOMO because we see those things and we have these conversations that nobody ever talks about how my tech stack didn't get to be my tech stack on day one. And we're relatively young in our independent insurance agency. We had a small, small sampling of what we have now back when we were captive, we were kind of restricted with some of that. But when we launched into independent, we knew what we wanted and we were watching some things. And I spent six months building everything, And i have redone it all since we did this in 20 months i have built our systems out twice and i don't recommend that to anybody but if you start small and you start with that that most basic basic thing when a renewal comes up this is what happens and that's the only automation you have when we sell a policy this is the information so i'll actually take this back our first automation had nothing to do with emails or text messages or customer, anything. I started working in a captive agency and it was just me, 800 square foot office and my desk in a phone. And I had a little laptop. So imagine how big that office space is. I don't, I'm not that big of a dude. I did not fill up that big of a space. I'm sitting there selling my heart out, doing everything I can to to make sure that this agency was going to succeed. It had my name on the door. I was going to make it about a month and a half in, corporate calls and says, Hey, where's all the paperwork? from all these policies you've been selling. And I'm like, well, it's sitting right here in my inbox on the on the drawer on my desk. They said, well, you need to do this, this, and this. I said, okay, great. We're sending someone down to come and train you how to do it. I'm like, even better. <clears throat> Around the same time, my wife comes in the office, or I come home one night and she's like, hey, I need you home about 20 more hours a week because I'm working 70, 80 hours, 90 hours a week trying to get it all done, right? I'm like, babe, that's awesome. You just got yourself a part-time job. And she gave me a funny look. She thought I was kidding and I I wasn't kidding. I'm like, corporate's gonna be here tomorrow to teach you how to do this. And I still don't know how to do all the paperwork because I knew that I wouldn't do the paperwork. So I brought Misty in and she learned how to do it. And I took what she needed to know and the job she needed to take and, and she needed to run with and the information I had, and we created an Outlook task. We created a template. Here's the information she needs to do the onboarding correctly. Where's the information, how are they paying? What carrier are they with? What, uh, or what side of the carrier are they with? Are they with the group side or the not group side? Is it EFT or pay in full? What kind of policy was it? What's the policy number? We created a template in Outlook for a task. And all I would do is duplicate that Outlook task. And we called it our digital handshake. It was going from the salesperson over to the service person to make sure that all of the documents got signed and everything got filed with corporate correctly. That was our first automation because it was just a digital transference of information from A to B came from my head into an outlook task and we could track it. And then it just got more and more. And then I started doing it in Microsoft Teams because that's what our company used. And then, uh, and then the captive carrier said, you can't put customer data in Microsoft Teams. So that blew my mind. Uh, you know, we, we kept finding ways to make sure that that process didn't drop the ball. And that just kept sparking more and more different pieces on how we would continue to grow this. But find that irritant, find that repeatable task, and you just gotta go with it, right? The, uh, and I think I'm rambling here, but the, I think I've said this before, right? We we have a problem and a problem in the industry is we, uh, it's it's the 10 steps to shiny tools or shiny objects. In every conference, we we think, I think we all need to do this and and post this out on the internet before every conference right? This 10 steps are we see a new tool, we sign up for a demo, we invest in that tool, we onboard, we don't fully understand it. We deploy it to our teams and we train them poorly because we didn't understand it. We then reach our frustration limits. We realize that the tool doesn't really do everything we wanted it to do to begin with. So then we see a new tool and we stop using the old tool, but we're still paying for it. (laughs) Like that whole process happens. I can't tell you how many people I talk to every single week, that are going through that exact same process with, I can't tell you how many different technologies that may or may not be right for them.
1: They just don't know enough because they didn't take the time to see what their problem was. Well, I think part of the problem too is, as we talk about problems and I'm over here trying to multitask and make my uh, deposit before the deadline today. People don't have their processes defined, so they don't even know where their problems lie. You know what I mean? you know you've got to identify what your actual process means number one then figure out what is it that can be automated around it and then work on the kinks from there you know
2: that comes from i think that comes from just not trusting the people around us i know what i need to do but what is what does my account manager need to onboard this person what does my ve need to make sure that all the documents are done? how do we communicate the nuance of carrier A versus carrier B versus a direct bill policy versus an agency bill policy? How do we make sure that they even understand that or allow them the opportunity to ask us the questions, but when we don't trust the people around us to actually provide real insight, we'll never see it. You'll never
1: understand what that problem is unless you trust those people around you. Yeah, I agree, man. And I mean, I think part of it too comes down to the fact you got to hire people the right way. You know, it, it's not just a matter of getting, you know, it's kind of talking about traction now that you mentioned it, but I mean, you can't just hire people because they're the body that walks in. You've got to hire the right person. And we're so pressed for time and just the ability to get things done in a reasonable fashion. We all want work-life balance. We, we want everything, you know, we want our cake. We want to eat it too. And so what happens, you end up hiring that person that comes in that's got some experience, but maybe the experience wasn't that good, or maybe it was at an agency that doesn't believe in being paper-free, and now they're gonna fight you every time you want something scanned. We put up with that crap, man. I think we need to define who we are as an agency, number one, and who we wanna be. From there, we needed to look at what are our processes? What are the big, what are the big rocks? What are the things yeah. we really gotta get dialed in first, Everything else after that, to me, is a nice to have until it makes it up to the top of the list. But there's a lot of stuff out there that we could do so much better if we just, to your point, trusted the people that we've brought in and And then number one, don't just bring them in, empower them to do the job. Number three, hold them accountable to the standard that you set when you empowered them and then get the crap out of their way, man. Just let them do what they need to do. Abby, who is, uh was our intern two summers ago, is now a full-time team member here. And her only job, I shouldn't say her only job, her primary function in her job is to integrate all of the technology we have in our stack that's client-facing to our clients and our new clients when we onboard them. Why is Abby doing that? Because we've had those tools for three, four, and in some cases, five years, because we didn't get the adoption that I was going to be happy with, and I simply am not able to be the person to do that. I don't have the time to focus on that. So I had a decision to make. Was the right decision for me to say, screw it, kill all the technology, we're not going to try and improve the risk profile on any of these accounts, we're never going to audit experience mods again or whatever else? No. I found somebody who had that skill set. She's outgoing enough. She could be a really, really good producer, but I don't think she wants the pressure of validation and all of that. So let me get her in a role where she's comfortable, where she knows the tools, knows the tech, still gets to interact with people, but can basically run it like it's her own thing. And then just status with her, find out how things are going, make sure that utilization is increasing. Guess what? It is. I never take the time to print the utilization reports. Now she has to print them on a monthly basis and we meet on them to make sure that that number is going up because that is a direct predictor of the effectiveness of her role. And my bet is the fact that when she's effective at the end of this year, the risk profile on all of our accounts will improve that are using her. And it's going to make our loss ratios drop to the point that I will more than fund her existence in the operation. So and, and I'm delivering a much better up. client experience and I'm cash neutral on it. If it works out. Right.
2: Right. You know, the, you said it earlier, I think you said the word impact, what impact is she making, right? What is the direct result of the, of her role in the company? We, so we know we did an annual planning our annual planning early this month. And we wrote out the next three hires that we're going to take over the next year. We actually wrote out four, three of them in succession. We prioritized the three. And the other one was, was based strictly on revenues. So in our, in our new, you know, new departments, right, as we continue to expand and grow, we need this role and it will happen only if we do this for six months or we cross this revenue threshold and then we hire this person. And here's our salary benchmarks. We built what we call an impact statement for every single role. If that role doesn't have an impact and a defined impact the and then all your job descriptions line up to to help facilitate what that impact is in the agency it doesn't exist if we can't justify the impact we don't have the role and then all the kpis are are kind of tied in there so like you like you said abby's got to bring you the report she's got to and in essence she's justifying her role based on adoption rates and usage rates and and, and all of those different pieces where we have all this great technology, but if no one's using it, none of it means anything, right? You, you talk about all of it, whether it's your experience mod, whether it's a mobile app, whether it's, you know, the, the EHS software, none of it matters. And we spend thousands of dollars on this every single month. But if my clients don't use it, I don't have the extra cash to run around or throw around. Our clients have to use it. Uh, actually, they don't
1: have to use it. We just have to bring enough clients on board to justify its expense because we have it. Uh, Well, and it's funny enough, man, because that's how I used to look at it, to be honest with you. I looked at it as, well, you know what? Honestly, it's great that we're spending this money and we have it and we can deploy it if we need to. But as long as we're getting business closed, I don't really care, you know, because it's getting people across the finish line. It's good for us to talk about, you know, in a at a point of sale, but at the end of the day, does it really matter? And the answer is, okay, you know, if if you want to stop there, but it, I, that's not who I am, man. I don't want to just represent something at the point of sale, and because the client doesn't push the envelope, settle for anything less than what I feel is the best effort we can push forward. And right. What, unfortunately, what we can get in that if you don't. Yeah, we can get up. in that rut. Right. We can get in yeah. that rut very, very easily.
2: Yeah. When we have, you know, I, I preach this to our team. Our, our service team is the fulfillment of the trust and the promise that we made, right? Not claim time. I mean, that's obviously, that's where that trust comes in. We're, we're selling the trust on the piece of paper, but every client that says yes to our agency, doesn't matter the policy, doesn't matter the type, if they say yes to our agency for us to represent them in any way, shape or form, there's a certain level of trust and they've, they've got that trust right there. We now have to deliver and continue with a consistent level of validation of our effort to that client. It's not gonna be the day before renewal. It's not gonna be the quote and hope strategy. It's not gonna be the, you know, well, there's nothing better out there. Every time a client calls, every time we have an interaction, and there are only ever four times you talk to a client, right, onboarding, service requests, claims, or renewal. In one of those four times, there's never a time that you're talking to them in any other reason, they're not calling you for anything else, right? I'm friends with a number of our clients. They don't call the agency just to sh- sit and shoot the breeze, right? They're gonna call my cell phone, we're gonna go out for drinks, that's gonna happen somewhere else. But when they call the agency, every interaction is an opportunity to increase or confirm or increase that level of trust or detract from everything we promised. If we promise them this tool or this EHS safety requirements, these safety manuals or these, um, these training that you can do in your weekly shop talks and and incident reporting and accident reporting and return to work process if we promise that and talk about it on the front end and we don't deliver all we've done every time we talk to them and we don't bring it up is we detracted from that level of trust and we have to work that much harder to keep that trust to earn that trust and to get it again i can sell anything to anybody once but when it comes to renewal when it comes to a hiccup, when it comes to a fork in the road where they feel like they didn't get done right, they're going to remember that I promised them something and it didn't actually come through. Because now you're questioning our integrity as an agency or me as a person. And that trust level falls, doesn't have to fall far for somebody to jump ship and go somewhere else because they feel like they're going to get something better somewhere else. Right? That hope of gain principle jumps in.
1: And I think the other thing is even if I can tell you only because I know how I operate when I'm trying to drive a wedge, but I'm going to ask somebody, talk to me about what you're doing um, to train your people. Well, we have a learning management system that our agency you know, has provided us. Oh, great. How often are you running people through training? Are you reviewing the utilization reports? Well, we haven't really used it much this year interesting why i mean it's such a valuable tool and it can only help you save money well they told us about it and that's why we moved to them but nobody ever actually came out and showed us how nobody onboarded us nobody set us up and it's like boom there's the problem right there yeah you know so many times it's like i i can literally walk into a new business appointment and i've done this and introduce myself as the guy that delivers what everybody else has promised because that's what that's what we do you know, We're not going to come in and say, oh, well, we have HR support. We absolutely have HR support. Let me talk to you about our learning management system. Let me talk to you about our online employee handbook. Let me talk to you about the fact we give you a dedicated number that you can call to ask an expert as opposed to, you know what they're doing? The agent's like, no, call me with those problems. And they're opening themselves up to an e situation that likely is not going to be covered because it's specifically excluded on our professional liability policies.
2: Or, or scalability, you can't, you can't do that with every client. And that's what gets me. Any, everybody out there wants to be everything for their clients. I wanna be a lot, I do. I want my clients to know me, I want them to trust me. Uh, and, and I'll say this for all the last name agencies out there in the world, we do really well with a last name on our, on our front door. Uh, I think it's the biggest mistake I made because it's not scalable. And someone calls the agency, they wanna to talk to McBride and that needs to stop. Because I'm not the expert in every field, like number one. They,
1: do you ask them if they want to get a Mick quote? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With yeah,
2: yeah uh, I, I, I immediately started.
1: The, my ADHD took me to coming to America. Man, they got the Big yeah. Mac. We got the Big Mick. <laughs>
2: the Big Mick. The McDowells. Yeah, the golden, the golden arches, uh, or the golden arcs from yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not having having a good day for movie references and all that. (laughs) I, I talked to Michael and Courtney Weaver a couple hours ago, and I don't know if you very few people have seen UHF with Weird Al Yankovic. Have you seen it? No, it's a classic. Anyhow, there's a part where there's a guy who's a karate instructor and there's a he they have a game show, stupid concept game show. But part of bringing back this UHF channel there's a lady on there named Weaver. And all I could think about the whole time is Weaver. Weaver, you're so (laughs) stupid. Weaver. (laughs) They are exactly the opposite of that. And I didn't want to ask him in the middle of the podcast, but that's what was running through my head half the time.
2: I, uh, you know, we just came out of of Thanksgiving and all the pumpkin pie and all the pie in the world. And I've got my kids uh, saying cool whip from, uh, from family guy. So every time they go to get a slice of of, uh, of pie out of the fridge, like, hey, dad, where's the cool whip? Uh, <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> so uh, I lost where I was going. I think, uh, I think I'm... think <laughs> You were talking about the scalability of the McBride yeah. agent. How, how many times, I mean, how much time in your day do you have to talk and answer every question someone calls in for? And, and how scalable is it if I'm the only one? If I'm the bottleneck, I'm as big as my agency will ever be and I'm probably bigger than my agency will ever be, if I'm the bottleneck. We have the people we have, you know, take those off my plate so I can help build them. But you say, call me with your your HR question, I've got access to this platform, and if I have to go answer it, I'm opening myself up to the liability, but now I'm the reason they're calling instead of them trusting that we put the right people in place. When all we did is we told them in the beginning of this, I'm the expert, trust me with the insurance. And then when they call us and they call about everything else under the sun, except the insurance and we're the person we have completely contradicted who we told them we would be. And we're expecting them to do something contrary to what we're asking them to do for us. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I think the the world needs to, the hardest thing we can ever do is be self-aware and being self-aware as yourself as a person is difficult, right? I'm, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. Right. I'll never play basketball at the level he did. I won't even play baseball at the level he did. And I don't dog on Michael Jordan playing baseball. He was better than most. Right. He jumped up from from single A to double A ball, not because he was good, but because they couldn't handle the media facilities. Right. He hit 200 plus in his first season and a half ever playing ball in a league he shouldn't have been playing at. Like the guy is just an incredible athlete, but I'm not the Michael Jordan of baseball. I'm not even the Michael Jordan of basketball, but by God, I can be exactly who I'm supposed to be. And whoever that is, that's that's who Patrick is supposed to be. But being self-aware as a person and then being self-aware of our agency, see the real problem. Is it your leadership? Is it your? It's not your automation. It's not your tech stack, I promise. It's not your tech stack. It's not because you're not on this CRM or that certificate tool or that mobile app. That isn't going to change your world. That's only going to highlight exactly who you already are. It's going to exacerbate the problem for the better or for the worse. But being self-aware as agency owners and as agents and understanding the fallacies in our own wording and the integrity of our own actions, we can only get better when we're fully self-aware
1: on that side. So as we wrap up what's one piece of advice that you would give to any agent out there, whether they're coming in, start and scratch, whether they were captive first coming over to the independent side, what do you think is a piece of advice that you have learned over your time and your role that you wish you would have known the day that you opened up?
2: I think I'm just going to reemphasize what I just said. We ask our clients to trust us in the thing that we're great at. And we're supposed to be great at the insurance side. We're supposed to be great enough at the insurance side that insurance should be the easy part of our job. Providing value beyond the insurance is where we just had that conversation today with a prospect that I'm I'm pretty sure we'll bring him on board, right? But my job is to be so good at the insurance side that I can bring so much more value beyond a policy with the eyes dotted, the Ts crossed, and the boxes checked, right? A a certificate in 15 minutes or less is not value, that's expectation, that's table stakes. But coming in, what I wish I would have known and what I wish I would have done differently is if I'm asking my clients to hire me because I'm the expert in this field, we have to realize that we need to hire people who are the experts in their field to help us build our business. Whether that's the automation experts, whether that's the marketing experts, whether that's the the website experts, finding the people who do it exceptionally well is exactly what we're telling our clients to do with us. We have to be willing to pull the wool off our own eyes to see that we're not the experts. I am not the expert when it comes to SEO or SEO management or digital marketing. I have to know that. I can write a blog. I can create a video. But how much more time am I taking away and how much am I detracting from the value I'm providing my customers by doing it? I think that's the biggest thing that we as an industry need to learn
1: I can't think of a better way to end man anything we left off the table go Bears no don't go Bears never mind no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we need them to keep losing so maybe we get some draft picks and we can turn into the Browns of the
1: 2020s that's kind of where I'm at with the Bucks right now man mm. I don't yeah. know if anybody can make an argument Brady wasn't the difference maker wherever he played look at New England and look at Tampa
2: yeah.
1: Although yep. I'd argue I, the coaching staff here is a little bit light, but whatever.
2: There's 32 top jobs in the, in the country. How how many top guys are there? There's, there's not 32. You, you prove every day there's not 32 top guys.
1: Probably five.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think there's probably analogy there with the number of agencies. Just because there's an agency doesn't mean that they're the top and what's what's the spread between the top five and number six right what's the spread between five and six that's a question to know how good is five and how good is six and where's that level
1: and and, and honestly are you... there's usually a pretty massive spread between one and five yeah right
2: look I mean, at even, if it, even if
1: you're number five and you're like the fifth best there's still a long way to go to get to number one
2: yeah Andy Reid and, you know, I'm not a huge football fan. I'm way more a baseball fan. But you look at Andy Reid and his track record and the two teams he's he's coached, right? The most prolific, you know, win-loss ratio of any coach outside of maybe Bill Belichick with the greatest quarterback of all time. I think you take away Brady. You don't have the same team. I think you see it, right? But what's what's the spread between five and six? That's the same thing when you look at your competition in the industry. What's the difference between me and the next guy? We've got the same carriers. We've got the same overall technology usage. What's the difference between my agency and yours? You know, maybe not yours particularly, right? But me and the guy down the street, we'll mop the street with him all day long because of the way we deploy and how we understand, not just that we have
1: it. Absolutely. Well, listen, man, we could go for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I've got my... Uh... My sons are giving me the the shark circling around the outside of my office door. It's that time. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Where can any where can people reach you if they want to chat more? You know, Facebook, LinkedIn are
2: probably the two easiest ways to get a hold of me um, or on our website if you just want to go to the McBrideAgency.com. I think I've got my email address kind of linked in there if you want to shoot me an email. But social is better. I'm, I'm always there. I think there's always uh, – I mute a lot of notifications. Facebook Messenger is not one of them. So – prospects and everybody kind of reach out to me there just from some of the weird stuff
1: we post. So yeah, man, Uh, this was a pleasure. This is a dream come true. This really was. I don't know about dream come true, man, but it's awesome for our audience that you took the time to come on today. So I want to let you know how much I appreciate that. And uh, there may be a little part of me that's looking forward to seeing what you look like as a cartoon too. So same. (laughs) There we go. All right, my man. Well, listen, everybody else, we're going to catch you next week, Patrick. Thanks again, my man. See ya.